Galatians chapter 5, we're looking at, uh, we, during, during what Paul's writing here in chapter 5, we've kind of looked at what he uh, enumerates as the deeds of the flesh, and he lists a bunch of things out there, pretty gnarly stuff, and uh and and he also makes note that you know that this list is in by no ways exhaustive, and uh, you know anything that's associated with these type things he's warning us against, and that these things are contrary to the God's spirit and his uh, God's spirit and his presence in our life. So uh, he goes on then to uh, contrast those things with the evidences, and that's what these things are, okay? When you look at verse uh, 22, 23, these are, the point he's making is that these things are evidences of the presence of God in someone's life, okay? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things, uh, again, is what he's been building up to is that, number one, there's only two, two types of people in the world, and that's God's children by faith in Jesus Christ and those who are not, okay? That's the only kind of two people they are in the world anymore, okay? And you can tell the difference. One looks like verses... 19, 20, and 21. The other looks like verses 22 and 23. And I, I can't think of a, a plainer way to say that. Can you? In fact, he says it right there. He says the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the harvest or the yield of God's presence. And, and that's the whole point, that's the whole message to these folks who want to characterize themselves as, as Hebrews, children of Abraham, Jewish Christians, blah, blah, blah. There is, no, there is no hyphenated Christian, okay? And that's what Paul's trying to, to say here. There's no hyphenated Christian. You're either a child of God purchased by Jesus' blood and then adopted into the family or or you're not. Okay? Much is made nowadays in, in popular culture and society about how someone identifies themselves. And it's mind-numbing, really. To, to, to listen to some of it. But Paul Paul breaks it down. And I and I mean I'm I'm telling you, I know I've already said this, but you can't make it any clearer than that. There's Christians and there's non Christians. That's it. And when you when you look at when you're and I know that the it's a biblical topic, the fruits of the spirit and and you can spend a lot of time, a whole big class, on each one of them and looking at them. 
But for our purposes in this study, Paul is trying to tell these people, especially these Gentile Christians in the churches at Galatia, is, look, you are children of God. You do not listen to these people who are telling you otherwise. You are children of God, and you know this. God has set his seal on you. We talked about how how circumcision was a sign or a seal of the old covenant between God and Abraham, and now the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit is the seal of the new covenant through Jesus Christ. You remember we talking about that, that, that in Romans chapter 4 when Paul talks about uh, the circumcision that God gave Abraham and it was a seal of the covenant, when Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 4, he uses the same word there uh, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4. Each one of those passages, he uses the exact same word to describe the purposes of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian as a seal or a pledge. Okay? So now circumcision is not where it's at. Okay? And that's what Paul's pointing out. Circumcision is not where it's at. The indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, that's where it's at. Okay? And you know that someone has that when you see these things in their life. Okay? So moving on there. In verse 23, chapter 5 and verse 23, uh, he says, Against such things... There is no law. And when you read that, you, you kind of think, well, yeah, I mean, that, why, that sounds kind of uh, redundant to say that. Well, why would there be a law against loving somebody or, 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 or being self-controlled or, or, you know, being faithful and gentle and kind and loving? The point is, when he says, when you, again, when you read that, you think, well, why? That sounds kind of obvious to say, I mean, to say that. But really think about it for just a second. Earlier in chapter 5, or for actually in verse 1, it said, 5 and verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. So when he says there's no law against these things, what he's saying is, is that you are free to do what? To practice these things in so much as you don't have to worry about your relationship with God. Okay? Heretofore, if uh, under the law of Moses, if a Hebrew was, if he was in violation of God's law, he didn't have the right to do what? He didn't have the right to be in the presence of God. Uh, the proper sacrifices hadn't been made. Uh, this hindered his what? His spiritual relationship with God. It, and, it, and, it, and it put distance between him. But Jesus, as our mediator... Because he's alive and raised from the dead and he reigns at the right hand of God, and the Hebrew writer tells us in the book of Hebrews that he lives to do what? 
inter, make intercession for us. So we, we have a great high priest over the household of God, Hebrews chapter 10 says. If you, if you, if you have a moment, read Hebrews chapter 10. And what that means is, is that since we are walking in the light, 1 John chapter 1, he's making intercession for us. We have the right and the freedom to continually strive to be pleasing to God because Jesus has set us free from the penalty of sin, both spiritual and physical, meaning that we it no longer results in our spiritual death or in our separation from God, and, our, and we have the hope of the resurrection, which takes care of our physical death problem. Does that make sense? So against these things, there is no law. Um, in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 14, Paul writes, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. He didn't say you weren't going to commit a sin. Okay? He's saying that sin is not master over you. There is a remedy for your sin. Okay? Only through God's grace does the Spirit identify us as children of God. Let me say that again. Only through God's grace does the Spirit identify us as children of God. In Romans 8 and verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then in 8 and verse 16, he says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And that goes back to God giving us the Spirit as a pledge or a seal. The Spirit reminds us through the Word that we are children of God. Isn't that nice? Through God's Word, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are children of God. For the purposes of what? Our encouragement. For the purposes of our encouragement. Now if you go back there to Romans chapter, I mean, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, in verse 24, now he's, he's enumerated some of these uh these spiritual manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the presence in the life of the presence of, of a Christian. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control. All of these things. He says this is taking place in this particular life. This heart and mind and soul. Because God has taken up his residence in this person's life. And so these things start to bear fruit. They start to grow and develop and they become more abundant and more abundant and more abundant. Okay? Now it takes time. It takes time because even as we are crucifying the flesh, verse 24 says, the Spirit is at work. Now, you don't just, if you're, if you're going to grow tomatoes, you don't just you know, start one day and the next day have tomatoes, do you? They have to grow. But it's 
the nurturing of that that seed and that plant that yields forth its fruit. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. And the more we are at work crucifying the flesh, the more growth you're going to have spiritually. Okay? That's what he says now. These that belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That means they're putting it to death. The mortification of the flesh. We're killing it. And and sometimes uh, it's a hard kill. Sometimes it's hard to kill it. Okay? Because the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, Paul says, Therefore put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh or the lust thereof. In other words, don't encourage it, don't grow it, or don't feed it. Okay? Starve it, starve it to death. Okay? You nurture that which is good in your life, and it grows. First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two verses nine through twelve. Listen carefully to the words that the apostle Peter uses here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own what possession. You know. Uh, God loves you and he wants to own you. And that's precisely what Paul has pointed out here in Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4. Okay? Because in chapter 3 and chapter 4, when he talks about God redeeming us through Jesus or by Jesus, he's literally talking about paying for us. So that we become his possession. And having become his possession, he adopts us into his family. A people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people. Who's he talking to here? He's talking about the Gentiles. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are the people of God? The church, right? We talked about earlier that there's no hyphenated Christian. Okay, I'm a such and such Christian, I'm such and this and that and the other. But what he says there is that if there's no hyphenated Christian, there's no hyphenated peoples of God. It just says the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 Peter 2 and 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. Now that's precisely what 
Paul is talking about here in Galatians chapter 5. When, he, when, it, when you look at verses 21, 22, 23, and 24, he's comparing the earthly lusts and the, acti- and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he points out that these are what? They are at war with each other. And he says to abstain. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, love, patience, joy, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of salvation. So in verse 12, what he's talking about, he's talking precisely about the fruits of the Spirit that Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 5. And what he says is, what Peter is saying is, when people see the fruits of the Spirit in your life, they glorify God. And when Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 that it was for freedom that Christ set us free, he set you free so that you might become a vessel for God's glorification where previously you didn't enjoy that status. Does that make sense? They may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Back to Galatians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. If we live, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In other words, what he's saying is, is it's now God's Holy Spirit that does what? It's God's Holy Spirit that illuminates us. Okay, and it enlightens us. It's God's Holy Spirit that animates us. What do we mean by animation? Your activity, your movement, your uh, your progression through the day, your progression through the week, your progression through life. It's God's Holy Spirit that has given life to your mortal body. It animates, it illuminates, and it enlightens. But only through the power of God's Word. That's what it means to live by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. It's your life force. Okay? Living by the Spirit... Romans chapter 6 and verse 22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, this is the same language that he would use in this letter to the Galatians, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. That, and what he's talking about sanctification, he's talking about the mortification of the flesh in conjunction with the presence of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. They're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. 
Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, how is it that I'm going to come to understand the will of God? That is through His Word. And that, and God's Word, results in the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. Walking by the Spirit. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. How, how is it that we are strengthened unto steadfastness with all joy? Is it something that we will ourselves to do? Well, according to Paul here in Colossians chapter 1, it's through the strength of God. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us, listen carefully, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He came and got you. Okay? He came and got you and he said, I'm going to pay the bill and you're going to come go with me. And, and you can't say it any plainer than that. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Going back to Galatians chapter 5, Ed Wharton writes in his book, he says, Paul encourages us that against the fruit of the Spirit there is no law. Our freedom in Christ releases us not only from sin and its condemnation, but from the gnawing uncertainty of our eternal destiny. Faithful, spirit-led Christians are confident of their salvation and are therefore free from the anxiety that paralyzes those who would walk by the Spirit, but through insecurity have no motivating strength to carry through. Christ's confident freeman can practice his walk with the Spirit ever so imperfectly without giving up. That's what he means when he says you've been freed for freedom is that you are free to grow and learn. And to stumble and get back up and keep going. There's no... There's no reversal. There's only moving forward. Does that make sense? And that is an underlying blessing of, of Jesus' work. We are to walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and as we embark on that walk, 
Are we going to do it perfectly? No. But we are free to keep going. We don't have to stop. We can keep trying. Keep growing. It, that's, pretty, that's pretty nice, isn't it? Uh, in spite of his imperfections, he is motivated to keep on keeping on. The message of the gospel is that if we, by faith in Christ, practice walking by the Spirit, we can have the confidence of our salvation that will motivate us to a greater life of holiness and to a higher attainment of spiritual insight and development. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, if you would please, does anybody have any other comments on that? As far as the, as far as the evidences, you know, uh, of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, the fruits of the Spirit, the blessings that we have in Jesus, that as we grow in Christ, that we can keep moving forward even as imperfect as we are all right keep looking there in galatians chapter 6 chapter 6 is the final chapter in this final section paul reasons for a radically new family lifestyle he's talking about the spiritual family in Christ, where members of the divine family help one another over their hardships. Okay? And it's interesting how he transitions into this because he just got finished talking about how it is that we can know that the presence of the Holy Spirit is in our life or at work in our life and that of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see, we see each other growing, right? We see us loving more. Uh, having more joy, being more kind towards one another, being more patient towards one another, having self-control. We see that in each other, okay? So we see that and we say, oh, we're family. Okay? And so he's going to, he's going to talk about that and how, how all of these things, all of these, uh, all of the, 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 work, the Holy Spirit's work in your life and my life and the other guy's life, all that's coming together in the family of God to, to build a family relationship. Is that the first bell, Sam? So you see, that's you, it, what he's going to lead into in chapter 6 ties directly to those, these new characteristics, these new things that identify us, okay? He teaches that the motive for this kind of fellowship is rooted not in proud flesh, but in the cross of the Christ. Paul's closing statement in the preceding chapter, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another, is a natural lead-in to this instruction. Now let's look at Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, 
you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to one another. For each one will bear his own load. Now, uh, if you when you first read that, you notice that uh, he's pointing out that in in the in God's family. Uh, there's some implications here. It, as soon as you start reading here in chapter 6, the implication is, is that in, in God's family, there may be occasion to need to restore one of our loved ones back to their rightful place in the family. Okay? So if I have a family member that's not in their proper place and I'm going to want them to be in their proper place, the first thing I'm going to have to do is what? First thing I'm going to have to do is love them. I'm going to have to care about them. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to have to have that concern. If if some if if one one of your family members in God's family is is not not it's not there, you know that, that place at the it's like at family supper time, you know. If if that one chair is empty, it it you know it's not quite right, is it? And the reason it doesn't feel right is because naturally you have concern for that family member. Yes? So if I'm going to restore that family member to their place, first and foremost, that won't ever happen if I don't have any concern for them. Carly, you was fixing to say something. I saw it on your face. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have to be. It, it, it you could you could liken it to like this: if you got two family members that ain't where they're supposed to be, uh, you know, they they can't help each other. You know what I'm saying? It's you're right in what you're saying. The, the finer point I was trying to make is, is that when somebody's not where they're supposed to be, those people who have concern and love for them are going to notice that right off. Does that make sense? What is it, Larry? Right. And that, uh, in in my mind, the 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 tone of what he's saying is is that if you love your 
Christian spiritual family members and one of them's not where they're supposed to be or something's not right, something, something's going on that's keeping them away, you are naturally going to feel that concern for them. You, you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Certainly, we have to examine ourselves, you know. Uh, but, but we're motivated to, to demonstrate love to that person so that we can help we can do what needs to be done to encourage to encourage them to to be back in the family. Okay, so we're going. Does that make sense? Does everybody, everybody understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. <laughs>